Is God good this morning? Come on, give him some praise. Did you have a good week? Did you have a good week? Look at your neighbor, tell him I had a good week. Look at your second choice and say, it was all right. It was all right. Make sure you communicate with your neighbor. Put your arm around them <laughs> if, it's, if it's appropriate. Put your arm around them. Thank you guys so much for being here. My name is Pastor Adam Harold, and man, I see some new faces, and it is amazing. So if it's your first time here, know that there is someone else in the room that is also their first time here. You don't have to feel awkward that it's your first time. Thank you guys so much for being here, and I would love to send you a card this week. So um, if you fill out that card in front of you, then uh, I will send you a card this week to say thank you for being so generous. You know, I say it every week, time is our most valuable commodity because we can't get any more of it. Like you can always get more money, but uh, you can't get more time. You shared your most valuable commodity with us this morning and about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, maybe an hour and 20, you know. <laughs> but you've shared it with us and we wanna say thank you for doing that. And my wife, Tanya and I have the privilege of being the lead servants at this place we call the Refuge Church, and I couldn't do it without her. She couldn't do it without me on most days, right? Uh, and it's, it's our joy that we get to, to, to serve you and to serve alongside of you, and we just know that God is doing something in this place. There aren't many churches Forget about in Maine, there aren't many churches, period, that experience growth in the summertime. But we are. But here's the catch. It has nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. I think a lot of times churches, we try to, to come up with these growth strategies and these, these things. And, and I think what happens is we often think that in our growth strategy, we, we tend to think that the growth is dependent on us. The reason that we are experiencing the growth that we are is because we realize this this isn't us, has nothing to do with us. So if you're visiting, welcome to the, our crazy life we call the Refuge Church. We just get out of the way. That's all we do. And so over the last two weeks, we, we began a series that we're calling Church Hurt uh, because we realize the church has hurt some people. And if the church hasn't hurt you, then someone else has hurt you. Pain is real. Pain in this life is real. Pastor Adam, shouldn't you be more positive? I'm positive pain is real. And we believe that what God is doing here shows us that he wants to take care of us in our pain. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that God wants to get rid of our pain. I said God wants us, God wants to take care of us in 
our pain. I think a lot of times we go and we think that God just wants everything to be easy in our life. No. Because we wouldn't depend on him if it were. So when we depend on him, he makes our life easier. And that's good news. So today we're in the third week of our series that we're calling Church Hurt. And uh, one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that, man, there's a lot of pain. People are lugging around a lot of pain. Do people say lugging around in New England? Is that just a Southern Illinois thing? <laughs> they are lugging around some pain, carrying it around with us. And we believe that God wants us to let it go. So we've been studying a, a scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, if you want to follow along in the YouVersion Bible app, all of our notes for today are there. Last week in the first service, I said all of our notes are on the, wait a minute, I didn't do that this week. <laughs> but I did do it this week. So uh, if you, <laughs> some weeks just get away from you. Um, but uh, if you want to follow along with the, with the notes today, they're all available right there for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 is our theme verse, theme text. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. Living at peace and living holy both require work. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up and troubles you, corrupting many Notice it says troubles you, but then it says the poisonous root of bitterness will corrupt many. When bitterness seeps into our souls, it doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us. And so because bitterness affects those around us, we want to do everything we can to stop bitterness dead in its tracks before it gets to the point of bitterness. If church hurt leads to pain then church hurt can also lead us to church hate. And if church hate happens in our lives, what happens is then we associate the church with who? God. So if we start to hate the church, what happens is we start to hate God. So we want to do everything that we can. I said it a couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. I'm tired of Satan stealing from my friends what God has intended them to have, and his bride is a part of that. And I'm not gonna allow him to steal the church from my friends any longer. Because the church is supposed to be the most beautiful creation on this planet because it is the bride of Jesus. And I don't know about your Jesus, but my Jesus doesn't like ugly things. Come on, somebody. Well, I mean, he loves me, <laughs> right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But church hurt can lead to God hate, and we want to stop that dead in his tracks. So week one, we talked about identifying church pain, identifying it. We have to identify when the church hurts us. Last week, we talked about our response and how we respond to church pain, church hurt, this week, we're talking about the purpose of church pain, the purpose of church pain. 
And uh, next week, I'm telling you, next week's going to be special. Um, I know we say that every Sunday because we want everyone to come back the next week. <laughs> but I'm telling you, next week's going to be special. I've never done baptism and communion on the same Sunday. Next week, we're doing that. Um, not only that, but last time we did baptisms, we had 15 signed up. This week, we've already, or next week, we've already got 13 signed up for baptism. <laughs> and we, we expect more. So um, it's going to be a, a very special, special day. So we've been studying, and so, so next week I'm going to give you a protection plan for the future and how you prevent church hurt in, in your lives. And, and listen, let me, let me spoil it for you real quick. I haven't, listen, the last two weeks I've dropped like big cliffhangers, like, and, um, and, and like, I, I like to think that that's why there's so many people here this morning. <laughs> it's not, but, um, Next, I'm going to spoil it for you. I cannot give you anything that will prevent pain in your life. I can't. But I can give you a, a plan that will hopefully allow that, that pain not to take bitterness in your heart, like not to allow, allow it to grow. And so last week we began studying this passage in Luke chapter 24. The Bible calls it the walk to Emmaus. And one of the things that I, I've said along the way is that each week I will give you some foundation, some foundational truth to, to, for the next week. And so I would encourage you, if you miss any Sunday, before you come to the next Sunday, get online. We've got refugemain.church slash messages. You can listen to all the previous messages. And don't rely on my review for you to get what I'm going to give you. For, by way of review today, I want to review some things about Luke chapter 24 that we talked about last Sunday. Number one, the first thing that I want to remind you of is in the walk to Emmaus, this happens after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has died, but his followers do not recognize him yet. So they haven't recognized him. The second thing I want you to see is that there are two people on this walk to Emmaus. One's name is Cleopas. And the other one doesn't have a name. One of the things that I always say is that oftentimes when scripture doesn't give us a specific name, I believe it's so that we can put our, our name in the story. And so, for example, the woman at the well doesn't have a name. We know her as the woman at the well, but I think the reason she doesn't have a name is so that I can put my name in her story. So Cleopas and this unnamed follower of Jesus are walking on this road to Emmaus, they're going back home, away from Jerusalem. The reason they're going home, and listen, remember when Jesus asked the disciples to follow him? He tells them, you have to leave your father and mother to follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. They're, to follow Jesus, some of you need to hear this, to follow Jesus, it's always going to require us to leave something. It might be leave our sin, it might leave our past, it might even be leave some people that we love. And so these two are going back to Emmaus. Later on in the story, it says the two from Emmaus. So they're going back 
home when Jesus had already told them to leave home. This third thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus appears to them, but the scripture says that God kept them from recognizing him. And I dropped a doozy when I said, next week we'll answer that question. And that's why there's so many people in the room today. <laughs> why on earth would God uh, prevent these, these two disciples from seeing who Jesus was? Why does God prevent you from seeing Jesus in your pain? Some of you are hurt today and you haven't seen Jesus yet. Why? How? The fourth thing that I want you to see is Jesus walked them through the writings of Moses and the scriptures. So he walked them through the Old Testament. He walked them through God's word. He pointed them to God's word. And then number five, the fifth thing that I want you to remember is that by the end of their journey, by the end of their journey, after Jesus had shown them the scriptures, they invited Jesus to stay with them. If you're going to be healed from your pain, you have to invite Jesus in. And some of you are still sitting in your pain because you haven't invited him to stay yet. So as I, be, as I was preparing for this week, I, I, I went back and forth, back and forth. Where do we pick up? Do we pick up where we left off? Do we, do we read the whole thing again? I, don't, I really don't know. And last week we studied uh, Luke 24, 13 through 29. And today, um, we're going to just, because I realize that there are some of you that weren't here last Sunday, we're going to go back and read verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 29, and then we're going to pick up where we left off. So it says this in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. And there's that doozy of a verse. But God kept them from recognizing him. I promise you we're going to answer the question to why God does that in just a moment. Verse 17. He asked him, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their face. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. I just hear the, the rejection in his voice as I read this. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But the leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to, to be condemned to death and they crucified him. Here's the, the biggest rejection verse. We hoped that he was the Messiah. We hoped that he was the Messiah who had come who, who they crucified. 
who come to rescue Israel. I'll, I'll read it right in a minute. I got so choked up that I was like, I lost my place. Verse 21. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. I'm going to read it again. Obviously, I didn't read it right the first time. We'd hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Now, verse 22. Then some women from the group of, the fo- of followers were, from our group <laughs> of followers, were at his tomb early the, in, this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. So they start to, they start to show, like, some, some glimmer of hope. They have this amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus was, is alive. Some of the men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had, women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that, that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Jesus had already shown them the scriptures. He walked them through the scriptures. Keep reading. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? And then Jesus took them through the scriptures of Moses and all the prophets. So he starts to show them, explaining all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey. Jesus acted as as if he were going on. He led them to believe that he was going to keep going without them. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went with them. I want you to know when, Jesus, when, when you invite Jesus in, he's going he's gonna to come. Whenever you invite Jesus in, the answer is always yes for Jesus. That's why I say to God, God, my answer is always yes, whatever you ask me to do, because your answer is always yes for me. Now, I realize that some of you have been praying and praying and praying and praying, and you haven't gotten your yes yet. Maybe you haven't gotten your yes yet because you haven't seen it the way God sees it. And Often what happens is God prevents us from seeing things because we haven't seen it the way he sees it quite yet. Keep reading. Verse 30 is where we pick up this week. We didn't read this verse last Sunday. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened And they recognized him at that moment, (laughs) just like Jesus, he disappeared. (laughs) I added the for sound effects. Oftentimes, once we finally get it, that's when God goes, all right, now go and live it. But we have to get it first. And right here we notice Finally, they recognize Jesus. But you know what we don't notice? Or you know what what the scriptures don't say? It doesn't say that God unveiled their eyes. It doesn't say that God removed the veil from their eyes. It doesn't say that God allowed them to see Jesus. It says they suddenly recognized him. They saw him. And that brings me to today's big idea. 
and it answers our question from last week. Why would God prevent us from seeing Jesus when we're in our pain? The big idea for today, if I want you to take one thing home with you, it is this one big idea. Every Sunday, I give a big idea. It's this. God has already put in our hearts what we must know to be saved. Every one of you, you may not call Jesus your king, you may not call Jesus your Lord, but he has already put inside of you what you need to know to be saved. He's already put it inside of you. Let me say it this way. God has already put in our hearts what we must know to be healed. To be healed. God didn't have to reveal Jesus to Cleopas and the other disciple. They, he had already put in their hearts what they needed to know. They had already seen Jesus break bread at least 10 other times. They had already seen him break bread, but when he broke the bread, that's when they were able to recognize him. They had already seen it, but we learned last, we'll, we'll learn next week that the symbolism of breaking bread can protect who we are in Jesus. And that's why we're doing the Lord's Supper along with communion. That's just another spoiler. Now, I've been pretty upfront uh, here recently about the, the journey that I'm on. And listen, I'll, I'll say it again. If, if you're visiting and you're looking for a perfect church, you can go to another church next Sunday because we're not perfect. You won't find it here. But as you go to another church next week, make sure that the pastor is on a journey. Make sure the pastor hasn't figured it all out. I'll, I'll stand before you every Sunday and tell you that I am always learning. I am always growing because if I stop growing, you stop growing. And I'm not willing to allow you to stop growing. So I'm always going to press into what God has for me in my soul, in my heart, what he's doing inside of me. And this journey has brought me to, um, to this, this concept of of Jesus being my only identity. He is my identity. He is, but it's, it's a journey of Galatians chapter two, verse 20, that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives inside of me. And I've, I'm, I'm learning the process of dying to my flesh. Every believer has to learn the process of dying to their flesh. You have to. This journey has led me into a discipleship process with my friend Brian. Brian told me about a guy that he had seen for counseling by the name of Mark Malding. Mark Malding wrote a book called God's Best Kept Secret. I bought that book this last week. Uh, it's, it's called God's Best Kept Secret. I know those of you that are, are big readers, you're going to want to know what was the name of that book. And I'll have 20 people asking me in the, in the common area after service, hey, what was the name of that book? God's Best Kept Secret by Mark Malding. You can buy it on Amazon, which um, I, I have a feeling that this book is going to be so um, beneficial and transformative in my life that we'll probably at some point, and don't hold me to this, but at some point we'll probably have a lot of copies available for you to um, have, for you to buy, for you whatever. But um, 
it is it's foundational. And I've been I've been sitting down with with Mark, uh, the author, um, the last two weeks. I've, I've got another appointment with him this next week, and and, and we're talking about about my history, my life, and he's, he's my, my counselor. When I opened the book, God's Best Kept Secret, I instantly noticed that this book was different than any other book other than God's Word that I've ever read. I noticed it on the very first page that was the dedication page, you know, that the, the author dedicates it usually to their wife and their kids and everyone. Well, on the dedication page, Mark writes, he said, to Christians everywhere whom God has been preparing with great care to discover his best kept secret. I told Mark this last Wednesday that exactly how that made me feel because I now knew that Mark didn't just write this book for me, but God had been preparing me with great care to read it. I want you to know this morning that every week that I preach God's word and you are here, I believe that God has prepared you for what God has to give you. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a middleman. And God has pre- hopefully prepared you for this word this morning that will bring a great amount of healing to so many people if we allow it. As I started reading chapter one, Mark wrote down, broke down a verse that I've heard over and over again. I've studied it, I've read it, but I never quite broke it down the way he did. I wanna read it for you right now. It's found in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. The creation story, which I'm learning that there's a reason that that, that the creation story is so under attack because creation is found, like the, cre- the, the fact that God created man is so foundational that if Satan can tear that down, he will tear down everything about this book. He will tear down everything that he wants to give you every Sunday morning. He will break it all down because he, he's, like that's how he attacks God's word. And so... Genesis chapter two, verse seven says, then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. And man became a living person. Other translations say a living being. Now, the first word that I wanna point out to you is the word breath. The word breath in the original language, is, which is Hebrew, the, the language that this verse was originally written in was, was Hebrew. The word breath here is, is also the word spirit. It's the word ruach. It's, it's spirit, which is often translated to spirit or translated to Holy Spirit. This is at the creation story. God breathes the spirit that is in him, which is the Holy Spirit. If it's in God, it's holy. So it's the Holy Spirit that he breathes into man to give them life. The second word I want you to notice is the word life. Because the word life there in Hebrew is is, it's actually in, in this form. It's actually written as plural. In English, 
We, we, we mess it up. So it's actually written as lives. So God breathed breath into man's nostrils and gave him lives. Let me read what Mark says in God's best kept secret. This seems to be clear, a clear reference to the entire Trinity entering you to live. As they do, you come alive and begin to breathe. God's desire for all of mankind since day one has always been to live inside of us. That's all he's ever wanted. It's not that he needed us, but it was that he was so filled of love that he wanted to share himself with others. So he created human beings and he put himself inside of us to give us life. God has already put inside of you everything that you need to be healed. King Solomon wrote it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for his own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Human beings have a desire to live forever. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones? We have a desire to live forever. The reason is because we all know eternity must exist. Because God has put in us the desire to live forever. In God's best kept secret, Mark Malding writes, a human has originally was originally designed to live in relationship with God by God indwelling in him or her. That is what makes us fully human. We've been trying to figure this human thing out for so long, but it's so simple that God wants to live inside Check, check. All right, we're back in business. All right. Sorry. Uh, has anyone ever found a treasure? Anyone? Anyone ever found a treasure? What happens when you find a treasure? You own it, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, you own it. 
about four years ago, my family and I were uh, at Old Orchard Beach, and we were swimming in the ocean along with many other people. <laughs> and um, we're swimming, and my son was about nine years old at the time. And uh, I've, got a, I've got a picture of that day. <laughs> The best picture ever. <laughs> he's nine. He's 14 now. Um, he's, he's swimming in, at Old Orchard Beach along with many other people. And up floats this $20 bill. He grabs it and goes, Dad, I found it. Son, shh. If you found a 20, everyone else said they lost a 20, all right? <laughs> now, normally I turn it in and it drives my wife crazy, but not at Old Orchard Beach. <laughs> he found a treasure. Guess what? We let him keep that treasure. He owned that treasure. But guess what he also did? He went and he told everybody about that treasure. What happens when we discover that God wants to live inside of us and all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and Jesus who already is there comes alive inside of us. And then we want to go and we want to tell the world. You want to know why we're crazy? Because we found treasure. The treasure of God's love is buried deep inside the human heart. But he loves us enough to allow us to discover it on our own. Pastor Adam, that is absolutely incredible. But what does it have to do with my church hurt? And what does it have to do with my pain? Luke chapter 24, verse 32 through 34, let's, through 35. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within? <laughs> it's like they all of a sudden, Jesus revealed to them, <laughs> and they go, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it all along. Didn't our hearts burn within them, within us? As he talked with us on the road and he explained the scriptures to us? Can I just stop right here and say that you have friends and you have family that you have been praying and praying and praying that they would discover the love of God in their lives? I want you to know that he's there. I want you to know that his spirit has been placed inside of him because he is human. He just has to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It's there. It's closer than you think. Keep praying. Keep seeking on their behalf. Verse 33. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. <laughs> 
they, they were like, all right, for some of you, you've, you've been hurt by the church, and it's time to get, go back. It's time, to, it's time to go back. We talked about last week how the Jerusalem represented the church. We know that because Jesus says that he's bringing a new Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem re represented the church. They went back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who were gathered with them. Can I just stop and talk about the tragedy of that verse? How many disciples were there throughout all of Jesus' ministry? There were 12. How many are there here? Judas is missing. Judas is dead. Judas had the same God inside of him that we all have. But he rejected him. For some of you this morning, you'll be hurt by the church or you'll you're, you're here, and, and the fact is, is that you'll be able to walk out these doors rejecting what God has revealed to you this morning. I want you to know that's okay. You're allowed to do that. But it's tragic. It's tragic. Because his love is so great. His love is so good. But he still wants us to discover it. Keep reading. The Lord is risen. He appeared to Peter, they said. <laughs> By the way, let me point out who Peter is. He had appeared to Peter, obviously. So evidently, he had appeared to Peter before these two to Emmaus. You know why he went to Peter first? Because Peter was the one that rejected him three times. He went to Peter and said, Peter, it's okay. All right, I'm, I'm done there. Then the two from Emmaus told them their story and how Jesus had appeared to them. And they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Four purposes for your pain this morning. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write them down anyway. Four quick purposes for our pain. Number one, for you to see Jesus. Again, he is already placed inside the human spirit. You have got to recognize him as king and savior. Why, Pastor Adam, if, if he's already placed inside of me, why, don't, why do I have to call on him? Why isn't, why isn't it just enough? It's because God is holy. And because God is holy, he cannot be alive in that which is unholy. We already read it in Hebrews chapter 12. Those who are unholy will not see the Lord. The reason he can't be alive inside of us is because of our sin. But that is also why we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Asking him to forgive us of our sin. Repenting from our sin. And when we repent of our sin, he removes our sin so that he can be alive in us. Jesus wants you to see him in your pain. The second purpose for your pain is for you to see his word. For you to see his word. 
Why is it that the first thing that people deconstruct when they deconstruct their faith is the word of God? Because the word of God is alive, it's active, it's quicker than any two-edged sword, piercing my soul. Satan will deconstruct your faith by deconstructing his word when God only wants you to see his word. What did Jesus do as he walked with the people to Emmaus? He pointed, he, he, he pointed them to the writings of Moses and the prophets. He pointed them to God's word. God's word has the power to heal you. But you have to open it up. You have to look at it. Personally, I think you have to have somebody that walks you through it. That's why we're walking through the road to Emmaus. Number three, the third purpose for your pain is so that you'll tell your story. So that you'll tell your story. Then the two from Emmaus told their story, verse 35 says. Now, can I stop right here? Because some of y'all are telling your story from your place of pain. Notice, they didn't tell their story before they recognized Jesus. They told their story from the place of recognizing him. They told their story from victory. Stop telling your story from a place of pain and start telling it from a place of victory. And if you are still in pain, listen to me, don't clap yet. If you're in the place of pain, you're not ready to tell your story yet. But when you are healed, when you have recognized Jesus as the treasure of your soul, then you're ready to tell your story. Number four, the last purpose for your pain I want to give you is that God just wants you to invite him into your pain. That's it. He just wants you to, wants to invite you into your pain. And the reason so many are hurt by the church is because they were looking for identity in someone that wasn't supposed to be their identity. They were looking for identity in the leader of the church. They were looking for the identity in the, 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 the board of the church. They were looking for their identity in places that they weren't supposed to have identity in. And when you identify with anything other than Jesus, he allows you, he allows you to be hurt with great care. To show you that, to, to bring you to the end of yourself, to the point where you go, I've had enough. I can't figure this out anymore. That's exactly where he wants you. Because when you realize that you have gone, you have tried and tried and tried. Listen, there are plenty of people in God's word that try and try. Have you ever heard of the woman with the issue of blood in the book of John? She was sick for 12 years. The Bible says that she went to doctor after doctor after doctor. 
She tried and tried and tried. But when she sought Jesus, she found healing. The answer to some of your pain is just simply that you get out of the way. And that you allow Jesus to be with you in your pain. And when you allow him into your pain, he will come inside of you and he will heal your soul. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Why does God allow bad things to happen is a common question that we all ask. I think God allows bad things to happen to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we only seek him. Some of you are here, and this was your last stop, your last stop before fill in the blank, whatever. I want you to know this morning, God has prepared you with great care for this, this moment. This moment of conviction. But we talked about in week one that conviction isn't just going up to the pastor after the message and saying that was a good talk. Conviction is, conviction is walking out the doors and doing something about it with your life. But oftentimes, I'm, and I'm learning this, but oftentimes we leave and we think that, oh, well, now I have to read my Bible. Well, now I have to tell my friends about Jesus. Well, now I have to go to church every Sunday. Well, now I have to do, listen, stop doing. Stop doing Christianity and start being who God wants you to be. That sentence alone in the last two weeks has transformed everything about Adam Harold. Get out of the way and allow God to come alive and live through you and in you. When you allow God to live in and through you, that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never admitted to God that you need him. If you've never admitted to God that you need him, I want you to know that he's not alive in you. But if you do admit that you need him, he will come to life in you. Is there anyone here in this room that would say, Pastor Adam, I haven't told God that I need him today or yesterday or the day before, whenever. I've never told God that I need him, but I want to. Would you do me a favor? Would you just slip your hand up so I, I know who you are? Thank you, I see you. Anybody else? Pastor Adam, I want to tell God that I need him today. Thank you, I see it. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, 
I want to help you. And then we're going to sing a song after we pray, and we'll be dismissed. If you raise your hand, or if you didn't raise your hand, and you need to tell God that you need him, say this prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's not about another prayer. It's about you inside, your belief inside of you. Say, God, I know I need you. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sin by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for me. Give me life, new life, that Jesus brought to me through the resurrection. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give Jesus some praise this morning. Come on.